0: Breadbox Media Programming is brought to you by Good News Ministries of GNM.org It's the Catholic place for faith builders. You'll find daily good news reflections on the scriptures of Mass written by Terry Modica to help you in your everyday life and struggles. Visit GNM.org today. Introducing the redesigned CatholicSingles.com featuring new ways that put the spotlight on the person and their faith, not just a profile picture. For the past 20 years, faithful Catholics have used CatholicSingles.com and the reimagined CatholicSingles.com website is ready to help single Catholics take the next step in sharing meaningful relationships with other faithful Catholics. Remember CatholicSingles.com for faith, fellowship and love.
1: By definition, a storyteller conveys events and words, images, and sounds, often by improvisation or embellishment. The Living Bread Radio Network presents The Storytellers with Tony Agnese. Today, you'll hear a faith-based, inspirational story that's both heartfelt and heartwarming. And now, let's meet today's storyteller with Tony Agnese. Hi,
2: this is Tony Agnesi, and welcome to this edition of The Storytellers. We're heard every Tuesday at 2 p.m. Eastern Time, with a repeat on Sundays at 9 a.m. here on the Living Bread Radio Network. The program is available as a podcast immediately following the interview at 2.30 at thestorytellersradio.com. It's also available on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, YouTube, TuneIn Radio, and now on Spotify. The program is sponsored in part by CatholicBook.net, and all of the books featured on the program are available. Available at CatholicBook.net, including our guest and my books as well. If you'd like to get more information on having me speak for your group, you can do so by just going to my website, TonyAgnese.com. Well, today's guest is Dr. Philip Kim. Uh, Dr. Kim is an associate professor at Walsh University in North Canton, Ohio. He is a consultant, a speaker, and has uh, uh, done a tremendous amount of uh, business consulting and so forth. He's the author of a couple of books. The book we're going to zero in on today is called Chase One Rabbit, Ten Habits That Move You from Failure to Success. Dr. Philip Kim is my guest. Phil, welcome. Great to have you here. Thank you, Tony somebody get from where you were to here to Walsh University here in North Canton?
3: <laughs> well, it's it's it is a bit of a long story. I'll, I'll try to condense this. Sure. Um, but I was born and raised in West Philadelphia, um, just like the song says. Um, and my parents emigrated from South Korea in the late '70s, um, and they settled in Philadelphia of all places. So mm-hmm. my sister and I were born there. Uh, in uh, well, I was born in '77. So you can do the math on how old I am. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we settled there. They were the classic immigrant family, you know, with with not too many opportunities to, to do white collar jobs. So they they started different businesses uh, in the inner city and sort of worked our way up. We eked out a low to middle class uh, living with my parents working 60, 70 plus hours a week. Mm-hmm. Um, but the whole goal was to get their kids educated. So my sister and I were sort of the, the, the model, well, my sister was actually mm-hmm. the model child of immigrant parents who worked really hard. So she got Straight A's, you know, played the piano, all that jazz.
2: You um, not so much.
3: <laughs> no, I was the total. <laughs> I was the total opposite of that. In fact, it was it was sort of a running joke um, that I was the black sheep of the family. Mm-hmm. So I, um, I mean, to be fair, I did pretty well up until about tenth grade, but then um, I, I go into this a little bit in the book. But uh, my junior year was the first time I actually got an F on an exam, which to me, you know, again, being Korean and having my sister be the, you know, the straight A student, that was just a shock to me, Mm -hmm. you know, and I even went back to the teacher and I said, are you sure you didn't grade grade this wrong? She said, no, Phil, you're really, you know, you're bright, but you're pretty lazy. And, uh, you know, you don't come to class often and you don't do things like
2: Sounds like my career. That sounds like my first. That my first four freshman years of college, <laughs> right? No, <laughs> Which I don't remember much of, but they said I had a great time. <laughs> That's
3: funny. So actually, it ended up that um, I couldn't pass that class because she was the only. It was a smaller high school. She was the only physics teacher in the whole course. And at that point, I think my name was marked, um, and there weren't many options for me. So. I had to drop out of high school, so I'm a, I never actually got my diploma. Um, and it was during this time that uh, This was before Google, so I had mm-hmm. to look this up on the in the yellow pages, but I found out that there was a testing center um, that offered GEDs, mm-hmm. so the general equivalency diploma. Again, I had no clue what this was, but I paid the $55 fee. And um, I went to the the testing center, and it was so humbling because it was like – you know it was single mothers it was army vets I was the only kid there mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and it was sort of just a, a cold splash of reality like what have I done with the opportunity that I was given mm-hmm. here my you know my parents were working hard to the bone my sister set this class example and here I'm a high school dropout so there there was a uh, now to come on the other side of that obviously we can sort of smile about it but at the time it was a pretty catastrophic mm-hmm. uh, event in my life but through God's grace, I was able to uh, pass the GED. I forget what the passing score was, but I, I did okay on that. And thankfully, before my junior year, before this all went down, I actually had taken my SATs early. And in eastern PA, actually western PA too, Ohio is different. You guys have the ACT. ACT. Okay. But on the east coast, it's the SAT. I did pretty well in the SAT. Um, and prior to me dropping out of Ohio, High school, I I did okay in ninth and 10th grade. Mm -hmm. And based off of that and my essay, um, I actually got into a college. I don't know who was sleeping at the wheel, but I I did get into a college. uh, So, moved out to Western PA, and then I got a job shortly after graduation. um, And this was around Y2K, where they were basically hiring anybody with a pulse. Mm -hmm. You know, a pulse and a college degree, which I had both, thankfully. So, I got hired there, and then after... Uh, 10 years in the banking and audit industry, which I did okay at, Um, I realized that that wasn't my life's call, um, and I knew that I wanted to do something different. So Mm -hmm. that's when I went back to grad school. And then, long story short, after I completed my doctorate, I started applying everywhere, got an offer from Walsh. I'd never heard of Walsh before I applied. I didn't know it existed. Mm -hmm. Um, And then we moved out to northeast Ohio about 10 years. 2010, nine years nine ago. Years. So I'll be starting my 10th year this fall. So it's been a really securitous route. But it's interesting because I always ask, I start off The semester by asking my students who here has a high school diploma, you know, and they all raise their hands. Why is he asking this? Well, you've done something that I have not academically. So the message there is everybody gets a clean slate. I don't care what your performance was before this class. I don't care if your GPA is a 4.0 or a 1.7. Everybody gets a clean slate, and I'm going to judge you based off of, I'm going to assess you based off the performance that you. Based on your performance from going forward for this class, so.
2: Dr. Phil Kim is my guest. Uh, he is a associate professor at the DeVille School of Business, Walsh University. His book is entitled "Chase One Rabbit." In the book, you talk a little bit about getting success from failure. Mm-hmm. Talk a little bit about that, uh, if you would.
3: Yeah, I think that's that's definitely one of the. Uh, I think we have to reframe. Failure. I think even in our educational system right now, it's it's so geared towards well, what is the answer, and you know, what's the answer to the test, and can we teach to the test? What are the assessments? What are the outcomes? And to a certain degree, I'm not saying those aren't important. Like you have to learn how to do a thing. Like if you go to your doctor or you go to your pharmacist, hopefully they've been skilled in a thing and they're certified and they're licensed to do whatever their job is entitling them to do. But bigger than that, I think our biggest learning lessons are from failure. I think Mm -hmm. our biggest learning happens when we don't know what the answer is and we have to figure it out. And we try a thing and then we fail. And we try a thing and then we fail again. And then once we get that skill, that skill is really hard earned and it's ingrained in Mm -hmm. us. And it's something that we're not likely to forget. As opposed to just memorizing facts and Mm -hmm. thinking, "All right, what's the answer to this multiple choice question? No. I want you to know, can you apply this? And the only way to learn through application is to learn by experimenting and Failing.
2: One of your examples in the book is WD 40. I had never heard that (laughs) example before. Share it with the audience. Yeah,
3: that's right. Yeah. So (laughs) this was um, by Dr. Larson, and he was working on a basically working on a formula to displace water. Um, the condensation from the – he was working with NASA Mm -hmm. to replace condensation on the ships that were being sent out to space Mm because water and metal don't mix together. The oxidization of the metal leads to rust. So he and his team were working on this formula basically to displace the water. And um, I guess the point there is it's it's not – called WD1, it's not called WD2. They took 39 failures to get to, to get number to 40. 40. Yes. Yeah, so, uh, and you never know where that 40 is going to be. I mean, you never know where that next breakthrough is going to be. But if they would have given up at try number 39, you know, I fix everything in my house with WD-40. Imagine what we'd be without it. Yeah, that and duct tape. It's forget duct about tape, it. WD-40, yeah. you're all set. The
2: yeah. title "Chase One Rabbit." Where'd Where'd that come from?
3: Yeah, that's uh, yeah. that's usually the question that I get. It's um, it's based off an old Confucian saying. Well, he's attributed with this, but the saying is, if you chase both rabbits, you catch neither. Um, so often, what I say is, it's not a matter of time management that you're not getting stuff done. It's a matter of choice management. Right? Interesting. So we all have the same 168 hours in a week, right? Mm -hmm. And yet you see people who are so much more productive, so much get so much more stuff done. And it's not like, I mean, to a degree, maybe they're sleeping less, but for the most part, they have normal sleep schedules. They still have a family life. They still have quote unquote work life balance, but they're able to focus in on the things that they want to get done as opposed Mm -hmm. to trying to do eight different things Mm -hmm. all at once.
2: I, I find uh, that uh, you know some people put together their to-do list for the day, and there's 50 things on there, and they get nothing done. Uh, you talk about zeroing in on the uh, you know on the on the most important. That's thing. right. You that's right.
3: It? Yeah, that's the Jack Welch method of the GE method of basically prioritizing. And I say this in the book too that this isn't necessarily groundbreaking. You know, no. it's not like. But neither is losing weight. You know, mm-hmm. I mean, people know how to lose weight, but it's the actual application of it. Mm-hmm. Um, and I should know that. But uh, so what I say is the or I think what I share is the G method of prioritizing your top three things for that day. Right. Mm -hmm. So don't move on to number two until you get number one done. Uh, So that's one method. What's our natural tendency, though? Um, Do what's easy or do
2: what I like or do what's
3: fun? or Yeah, that's a good (laughs) that's a good question. And I. I you know I think there are some time management gurus out there that would say okay start with the low hanging fruit get that out of the way. Mm-hmm. And if that's that's what you want to do that's fine. My point is if you don't prioritize then that's what you're going to default to. What is the mm-hmm. easiest? What is the quickest thing? And you know there's a book by Brian Tracy called I think it's called Eat That Frog or Swallow the Frog. But basically his point is do the hardest thing first, and then the rest of the stuff will seem so much easier. You know, it's almost like a reward. Like, do the exercise or do the things that you dread doing first, and then the rest of the day is is sort of just a treat.
2: You mentioned something that I talk about a lot, and that's chunking, you know, where, where you've got this – I always use the phrase, how do you eat an elephant? Right. You know, one, one spoonful at a time. That's or right. one You know, and yeah. how do you chunk – You talk a little bit about chunking. When somebody says, I've got a task to perform uh, – uh, Doctor, it it it's just so overwhelming. I don't even know where to start.
3: Yeah, yeah, that is. Uh, I think that is definitely one of the keys to quote unquote success. That's one of the keys to productivity for sure. Um, any project, any big project that takes longer than several hours worth of work, and I'd even say, I, w- I don't want to get down to minutes because there's um there's there's a book called Getting Things Done by Dave Allen. And I love this. He says, if it takes less than two minutes, then just do it. Mm-hmm. So if it's an email that you need to respond to to say yes or no, don't hold off on it. Because that's just adding sort of to your decision fatigue, this mm-hmm. idea that if you have so many decisions to make, it just exhausts you mentally. Mm-hmm. So if it's under two minutes, by all means, just get it out of the way. You'll feel better for it. You'll feel better for it. But the bigger projects, the things that take days, hours, you know, weeks, what have you. The key there is to, again, prioritize what you need to do, break it up into smaller chunks, and knock out one chunk. That's Mm -hmm. it. If you can knock out that one chunk, the rest of your day, you can move on to something else, or you can prepare for tomorrow. Mm -hmm. Um, But what it does is, mentally, it gets you in the mode of, ah... I need to expend resources and energy and creativity to get this done. There's, I don't know if I mentioned this in the book, but Albert Einstein has been known to solve problems. This is sort of tangentially related, but solve problems by walking away from them. So what chunking does is it forces you to focus on a single task or single series of tasks to get a part of that project done mm-hmm. and then walk away from it and what einstein would do is he'd have trouble with a math problem he'd be working on it working on it all day and then he'd stop and then he'd you know, practice violin or he'd take a walk and aha, there would be the solution right there. So I think chunking forces you to do a thing for a certain period of time and then walk away from it and come back to
2: it. And I found that to be really true for me, uh, writing, uh, you know, two books out and I have a third book that, uh, that I need to chunk, but uh, <laughs> you know uh, the, the the idea that uh, you know you don't do anything for a month and then all of a sudden you try to get it all done in a in a day and that just doesn't work. Oh, yeah. And you know the idea, I think you talk about the fifteen minute uh, writing thing or something in yeah. the book. And yeah. it just if you do that every day, then right. you, you know you're really putting it into bite sized pieces. Yeah,
3: I'm, I'm glad you said that. Also, it, it reminds me of my students who try to cram everything, you know, a semester's worth of material
2: <laughs> into one. And,
3: you know, caffeine-infused uh, cram session the night before the exam. And what happens is you're exhausted. I mean, you barely know the material because it's all surface level anyway at that mm-hmm. point. Whereas if, to your point, again, to thank you for the reminder, if you were to chunk that out even three to four weeks before the exam or before the due date, whatever your project is, mm-hmm. you're going to have to reverse engineer that. What's the due date and then work backwards. Mm-hmm. If you could chunk that into 15, 20, 35-minute intervals, then it, I mean, research shows that over time, repetition is what increases knowledge retention. So if you are able to repetitively go through that motion, that's going to increase the retention of the knowledge, not just surface area. Mm
2: Phil, up like behind my desk, I have a three-by-five card has been there for 40 years that says, that was yesterday. I got that from a, you know a friend of mine who I shared an office with 40 years ago. He was uh, a bad alcoholic, and he finally came to, uh, to a realization, and uh, we shared this bulletin board, and we put that card up, that was yesterday. He's since passed away, but I've kept that card with me. Talk about the dwelling that we do on and why, why that's not going to be very productive for us in trying to move to success from failure.
3: Yeah. I, that's, thanks for sharing that. I think, I think that's a great quote. That was yesterday. I am convinced that one of the biggest detriments of students not doing well is their own limiting beliefs. So whether it's, hey, I am not a good writer, or, I'm not good at math. I mean, if you were to poll students who here is good at math, none of them would sign up, right? <laughs> I mean, it's like uh, it's it's asking them who, who here is creative or who here is an artist. You know, they, what is the, I think it was uh, Tony Robinson had said this, but uh, Ken Robinson, he had said, if you were to poll kindergartners, how creative are you or, or how, who here thinks that they're creative, almost all the hands all would them. go up. Yeah, and then and the older you get, less and less hands go. Mm-hmm. It's not that those, children or adults are any less creative it's the fact that they don't believe that they are or they haven't been given opportunities to be creative and i think that's definitely true of failure i think too often we as a society and individually we're much more likely to see um the negative the our failures things that were uh we fall short on um often in my seminars i'll talk about uh you know if you if i were to ask everyone to name 10 things that they like about themselves 10 positive traits and surprisingly maybe not surprisingly it's often women more than men that have trouble with this But people in general have trouble coming up with five things. Mm -hmm. Now, if I were to ask that same audience, okay, I want you to list three things that you'd like to change about yourself, there's a list of 20, right? Yeah. So, that's we call that the negativity bias. Mm -hmm. Um, So, we are much more likely to remember negative events in our lives, and we are much more likely to lean towards where we are short, Mm -hmm. uh, where where we have a deficit. Mm -hmm. Um, And... You know, I I love that. That was yesterday. I think that's so true. We are humans. We are fallible. We make mistakes all the time. Um, And if we continually live in yesterday, then it becomes so much more difficult Mm -hmm. to actually believe that we can accomplish a thing. Think about, and I hate to use myself as an an example, but so for me, high school dropout, horrible at science. Um, I was a really poor writer. My writing was atrocious. Um, so to go to grad school and to finish a dissertation and to write books, that's a lot of writing, right? Mm-hmm. Sure <laughs> it's is. a lot sure of, is. and you know this, writing three books. And, but if the back of your mind is, oh, I'm a horrible writer, there's no way you're going to have any confidence or any joy or any uh, willingness to put in the effort mm-hmm. to do it, as opposed to, well, that was yesterday. Today's a new day. I love that.
2: Yeah, I, uh, I mean, you mentioned that. And uh, I um, have always been a, a speaker and a storyteller and so forth. And people have always asked me to write the stories down. And, and when I went into my freshman year of college, the first paper I turned into an in English class came back with more red ink than black <laughs> ink. Great big F at the top. And the professor said, you'll never write above a fifth grade level. Wow. And that really uh, had a, a profound effect on me. I used that as an excuse for years not to write. So finally, I started writing. I, r- I wrote a bunch of short stories, gave them to a college professor, retired college professor friend of mine, read these, see what you think. And she said, oh, they're fabulous stories. Cool. I said, what level do I write at? She goes, I'm about sixth grade. So in 40 years, Phil, I'm up a grade. So, uh, But good. it's the difference between taking the failure as an excuse and, and, and not starting with a new day, saying, well, that was yesterday. That's right. Right. And this is a new day. Um, we tend to we tend to uh, uh there's a book, uh, Mastering Success, Dr. John Glass, old book, probably 30 years old. He said there's three kinds of people. There are idea people, there are doers, and there are historians. Hmm. Idea people have a million ideas but can't get anything done. That that I would put myself into that category. <laughs> I think I'm in there, too. And <laughs> then there, there are doers that never had an original idea in their life but give them something, they can get it done. Okay. And when you hire people, if you're an idea person like we are, when you hire a, a secretary, you ought to get a doer, right? Yeah. But what what do we tend to hire people like us? So we sit around with a million great ideas, don't get anything (laughs) done. And then that third group is what I want to zero in on the historians. They don't have any great ideas. They can't get anything done, but they can sure tell you everything that you didn't get done. (laughs) They're that complainer (laughs) that is always complaining. So they're not fixers, they're complainers. You've got
3: a chapter on that. Help us Oh, geez. Yeah. So, um, and and I'm trying to remember what the exact phrase was, but basically that... um, um, complaining makes us makes us fat, <laughs> which is kind of funny to think about. Um, well, yeah, I think the it, again I'm recalling here. So what happens is when you complain, when you have a negative attitude, um, that is a uh, indicator. Well, actually, one is a precursor to the other, but. Uh, it, Increased stress. So, when you have a negative attitude, it increases the stress, the level of cortisol in your body. Um, and what's surprising about that is here, it's a mental exercise, right? These negative sort of I'm down feelings. But that increases the level of hormones in your body, the, the, pro, the cortisol level, mm-hmm. which leads to apathy, which leads to le- lethargy, which leads to sitting around and getting fat. And you get fat. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. So I say complaining makes you fat. Yeah. I mean the point there is what what good does complaining do? You know what? Honestly, what good does it do? There may be some mental payoff whenever you're able to vent. I'm not talking about that. Every every once in a while you have that, and you you sort of need that because if you know if you can't if you bottle it all in you become this you know George Costanza serenity now moment, you know, mm. but you got to have trusted people where you can, you, you can uh, express some dissatisfaction. But at the end of the day, if you are known as someone who is an energy sucker, you know, <laughs> you know right out of the room, right? right. <laughs> and it's probably because you complain. And, um, you know, complaining ultimately does nothing good and, in fact, can make you physically ill, which is kind of an interesting thing. But, yeah, don't, don't complain. Do something about
2: it. <laughs> Dr. Philip Kim is my guest. The book we're discussing is Chase One Rabbit, Ten Habits That Move You From Failure to Success. I've been using this quote for years, and I can't attribute it to anything. But uh, you talk a little bit about this in the book. Maybe you can expand a little bit. And the quote is, the main thing is to keep the main thing the main main thing, yeah. and uh, you talk a little bit about the main thing in the book. Tell us what you mean by that.
3: Yeah, no, that's that's good. I, I think a bunch of people have used this quote. Uh, more recently, I want to say there's a, a preacher, his name is T.D. Jakes, and he, he, was, he sort of has that on a placard mm-hmm. with his name on it. Uh, but the main thing is to keep the main thing the main thing. What I say there is, again, when you are trying to get a thing done, when you are trying to get... Uh, paper done when you're trying to get a new job when you're trying to save up right now we're we're in the process of um (laughs) my wife and i joke it's either the kids get braces or we get to take them to universal you know (laughs) so next summer we're gonna we're saving up to take them up to to universal (laughs) their teeth will be crooked but they'll have fun fun. but the main thing is keep the main thing so in that essence you know you, you kind of have to make some decisions, right? So when you're saving up for a thing or if you're trying to create uh, a new life for yourself or trying to start a new business or trying to, for those of your listeners, um, if they followed you, I'm sure you've encouraged them to write a book as well or just tell their story, right? Mm-hmm. So if your goal is to do that, um, you really almost, to to a degree, you have to put on some blinders at times and get that thing done. Mm-hmm. So chunk Your big project into smaller chunks. And if you keep in mind that the main thing for you for this season in your life is to finish that book, then do that, Mm -hmm. right? I mean, not to oversimplify it, but whatever that main thing is, everything else should come secondary mm-hmm. to that main thing. Now hopefully for most of us that main thing is a big thing. I mean it's not if you treat everything like the main thing yeah. then nothing is the main thing, right? Mm-hmm. So and and another thing is we talk about this I talked about decision fatigue. You know, if everything is of primary and utmost importance then it your life becomes unmanageable unmanageable as well. So you mm-hmm. kind of have to do a risk assessment in terms of, okay, realistically, what can I get done in the next what is this now? It's it's May. In the next seven months, before the year is up, what can I get done? And if that is truly a worthwhile goal, worth your time, and you're you're gonna pursue and put forth energy to complete it, then do it. By all mm-hmm. means do it. Mm-hmm
2: there's a, there's a, these things that uh, um, aren't important but uh, have some immediacy to them things like email mm-hmm. you know or or a, even worse is a text message you have, i have people that will text message <laughs> me and if you don't respond within 30 <laughs> seconds so right. yeah, you could be concentrating on the main thing phil but then yeah. there's always these urgencies they're not your urgency That's by right. the way but they're yeah. urgencies how do you how
3: do you push those aside that's a tough one tony i would say and this you know I'm, I'm speaking to myself as much as anybody else listening but i would definitely adhere to the idea of disconnecting absolutely i mean social media our phones um our texts our emails what have you they are such a time suck and i forget who who had said this but i believe this for every minute that you are deterred from your task. It takes you 20 minutes to get back to get into back. it. Yeah. yeah. So imagine you're you are half an hour into your writing chapter three or whatever this is or filling out that TPS report. You are taken away by three different emails and you reply to all of those. Now this goes in direct contract to mm-hmm. contrast to what Dave Allen said about if it's under if it takes under two minutes, just do it. But I think we all need focused, uninterrupted time to get. Things done, mm-hmm. so I think that is definitely and absolutely true. So disconnect, and you kind of have to be comfortable with being a jerk. I mean, I, I no, I, know I what hate to say, mean. but I know what you mean. You gotta have to be comfortable with people thinking that you're a jerk for not getting back to them. Mm-hmm. And to be honest. If you don't reply back,
2: the world still... It still turns. Yeah, it still turns, right? <laughs> Nobody died. Well, this has been a been a wonderful time. It's gone by way too quickly, and I really yeah. have enjoyed the, our time together. Dr. Philip Kim from uh, Walsh University's DeVille School of Business. He's an associate professor there, and his book is entitled Chase One Rabbit, Ten Habits That Move You from Failure to Success. And uh, Phil, it's been a pleasure having you with us. Yeah, thanks. Thank I you. feel like we Thank do this all day. Thank you so much. And that's our show for today. This is Tony Agnesi. We'll see you again next week for another edition of The Storytellers.
1: You've enjoyed today's edition of The Storytellers with Tony Agnese, a production of the Living Bread Radio Network in Canton, Ohio. To learn more about today's storyteller, go to thestorytellersradio.com. There you can subscribe to the podcast and hear all of our past shows. And join us again next week at the same time for The Storytellers with Tony Agnese. This is international Catholic singer Anna Nuzo inviting you to join me and Father Dan Cambra of the Marian Fathers on a select international tours, divine mercy pilgrimage to Poland and the Czech Republic. It takes place in September of 2019, and we would love for you to join us. For more information, go to my website, AnnaNuzo.com. Thank you and God bless.
0: Breadbox Media Programming is brought to you by Jack Kane Ford. Find your next Ford Tough vehicle at KaneFord.com.